You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. Signal Bites with Aki Anastasio. Do you think the flag should be banned? Yes. No, 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 no. Overseas. No, no, I I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I think it's got no place in society. You know, it's like saying to me, uh, you know, it's like debating should the swastika be, um, you know, banned from being displayed. Of course it should be. It brings back horrible memories for many people. Yeah. We had a wonderful, productive uh, disagreement between the listeners on the open line, and unsurprisingly so. But also, it tells you if we can't agree on certain kinds of things, and I think banning is a complicated issue. Yeah. But even, but but there was even I, I can live with reasonable disagreement on is banning the appropriate mechanism. Yes. Because banning is always a difficult issue to deal with in liberal society. But what I find really unsettling is that we don't even have consensus on the question of what do certain kind of symbols do in people who see them. And if I need to give you a training manual to understand how it re-traumatizes people, forget the banning for a second, then we've got a bloody long way to go. No, I agree with you. Now, I think it's, what does it tell you about the person who displays that in a public place like that? Yeah. I think it's on the same level as using the K-word, like yeah. we've had the recent utterances. Yeah. 100%. You know? 100%. I mean, that's how offensive I find it. Mm. Anyway, there's an interesting case uh, at the Equality Court where the Nelson Mandela Foundation want certain contexts to be contexts in which uh, we regard the displaying of the flag to be regarded as an act of hate speech. Yes. And that's something that I want to revisit. Some really good lawyers involved in that one. Okay, so fascinating. And uh, the first issue we're going to be looking at today is what Apple has in store for you. Yeah, no, listen, they, they, they've got some extraordinary stuff. You know, so every year they have this thing, uh, you know, their big show, and they release their latest phones. Um, and this, uh, just last week, Apple released their um, iPhone X the iPhone 10, which is their flagship device last year, but this year they've got the iPhone 10s, the iPhone 10s Max, and the iPhone XR. Now the XR is aimed at a slightly lower price point, um, but using this current year's technology uh, from previous, from last year at least. The XS and the uh, XS Max are, you know, they're kind of flagship devices that are a better quality screen. They've got the latest processor. Mind you, the bottom of the range device has their new processor, processor in place. Now, I just want to put this into perspective, Eusebius, because this is the thing that like literally blows my mind about the technology and what a massive jump they've, they've made in just one year. So they've basically gone from 10 nanometers, which is tiny atoms that fit into the chip that actually makes your phone work. Okay. Now, the new device has got the A12 Bionic chip, which is Apple's flagship device, which is what makes the actual device work. The new one is 50% faster. It's more energy efficient. But listen to this. They've managed to fit, you know, the, the amount of transistors they've managed to fit on this device is astonishing. It's 6.9 billion transistors in something that's smaller than, um, you know, a strand of hair. And yeah. the fact is that it can do 5 trillion operations per second versus 600 billion per second last year. Yeah. And and if you if you think of where this world is going with this fourth industrial revolution that we talk about, in 1960, one transistor cost $150. Today, you can buy 70,000 of these transistors for one U.S. cent. That's, <laughs> wow. how, that's how we've made such that's advances. Incredible. This is what blows me about this yes. technology. So these phones are coming on the 29th of September. Um, there's a, a, the, the, big, the big one, which is 6.5 inches. They've got a better processor, as I just mentioned. The camera is better. It's more efficient, and it's like, it's like mind-blowing what these devices can do. So... 
that's the phones. But for me, the interesting was the interesting one is that Apple Watch that's also been released. Now listen to this: what it can do is that the watch can now detect if you fall. Okay, it can detect if you fall if you've fallen down. It'll then send an alert on your watch to say, "Are you okay?" And if you don't respond, they will send an emergency service to help you. So it's like aimed at people, you know, the elderly people, for example. That's the one thing. It now has smarter detection. The drunk, the drunk absolutely. <laughs> I forgot about drunk people. Party time. Uh, where are you? Have you just fallen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the, the, they're such a smart company that they they they're focusing on the the the, and that the the sensor can now detect if your heart rate's too low. It can wow. detect if your heart rate has an irregular pattern, mm. and the new device will also be able to do an ECG using this part of the phone, the crown of the phone, which is that little turny thing. Now, just think about how many people have now all of a sudden uh, opened up a new segment to the market, 60-plus. How many yuppies are going to buy these devices for their parents just so that they can monitor their health? This is where it's going. And that, for me, the, the, the Apple Watch for me I was the most gonna exciting. I think they're going to buy it for themselves as well. Well, for the, I mean, I'm going to buy it. Like, we, we're obsessed with our health and the feedback we get. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not feeling well. Let me just check my ECG quickly. No, but the, <laughs> imagine this thing starts alerting you if there's a problem with your heart. It's already doing a lot of the metrics. But yeah. now they've taken it one step further. New face, new design. And I'll tell you what. Um, the, just the technology that Apple's introduced is pretty, pretty impressive. Dude, uh, it's incredible, eh? And now imagine being a child growing up with this kind of technology. It's scary. It, it's... Will, be, it will be completely bizarre to them why we didn't have more heart attacks 50 years ago, 100 years ago, when you might have to wait a good one hour to travel to a doctor, be in the waiting room. Yeah. Then there's the decision to do the ECG. What you know, and and it's like no, I can just quickly check it in the, in the right here on the phone. Or there's a chip that's been developed that will warn you a few hours they before you're about to have a heart attack. At the inefficiencies of the health of the health system, they wouldn't be able to conceptualize it. You know what's going to happen really in the next decade? You know, even sooner. You know, kids are going to be having these kinds of conversation, or, or the elderly are saying. Guys, I've got to go. I've just got an alert that I'm about to have a heart attack in the next four hours. I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> That's how it's going to work. Yeah. This is the world that we're living in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, one of the most ongoing debates that doesn't seem to be settled, and I'm beginning to wonder whether we should stop trying to project and just wait 20 years and then we'll have real data, is this question no. of whether mechanization will displace jobs so much that we're going to have a massive unemployment crisis or where the society will be okay. You cannot wait. We cannot wait. And this is the one problem we have in this country. We are too slow in reacting to the market changes around the world. And this is what this new uh, report has released uh, from the World Economic Forum. And they're basically saying that the robot takeover is coming. We know this. They're saying that by 2025, machines are going to do half of the work that we're currently doing. So imagine all the tasks that you do now half of it in the next decade are going to be done by machines. But they, the, the positive thing that they're saying is that they've analyzed a whole lot of different industries and the fourth industrial revolution that we call, but they're saying that the, the, this fourth industrial revolution has the potential to create 133 million jobs. And they're saying that 75 million jobs will be lost. And this really goes to say that we all need to reinvent ourselves. We need to make ourselves more aware of what's going on. Uh, Reskilling in organizations is key to all of this. And, um, you know, you just cannot carry on doing what you're doing right now. You need to but be how, able to how do we How do we understand the nature of the reskilling that needs to happen when experts like yourself are constantly telling us 
that you don't even know which jobs currently, including someone's in tech, mm. will be obsolete within 18 months, say, for example. Yes. So how, how do we future-proof ourselves against being completely obsolete when there are aspects of technology and innovation that you haven't spoken about yet in the show, which in two years' time will be a reality? It's really, really hard to anticipate. Well, the thing is that uh, I, I think it all boils down to leadership. As CEOs, CTOs of organizations, they need to see this, need to say that, hey, Eusebius, or hey, Aki, you know, this is your job right now. We will send you on a course. We're going to reskill you so that you're able to do these tasks going forward. As individuals, the, you know, the, the Internet is the most wonderful thing that you can learn so much. You can do online courses. You know, it's democratized everything around us. So we have to become aware of this. You just cannot sit stagnant in yeah. what you're currently doing in the world right now. You've got to open up your mind. And, and companies have got to demonstrate true leadership by, uh, you know, keeping themselves ahead of the pack uh, by reskilling their staff. And I think... Not enough companies are doing this, unfortunately. The amazing thing about the Internet is, of course, the incredible, incredible amounts of data available to us. Yeah. The horrible thing about the Internet is that sometimes truth and evidence gets compromised, and then you get all sorts of fake news. And this is an ongoing battle of our generation. Jeez, fake news is huge. You know, Eusebius, um, they, Stanford University did a, a recent, uh, well, just last week, they released some interesting research into the fake news that we've been seeing on Facebook and, and on Twitter, for example. And, uh, you know, I don't need to tell you what happened in the last U.S. election. And the the fact is that Facebook is – this research has shown that Facebook is actually doing the most amount of work when it comes to fake news. I must be honest, I still get – a little bit of rubbish coming through on my timeline, but it has reduced significantly. So let's give them credit where credit is due. Um, and it's down by at least 60%, some people are saying. Twitter, we can't say the same for. We're still seeing a lot of fake news on Twitter, um, although that's reduced as well, but not significantly enough to say that, you know, we've we've seen this and it's the end of it. And, you know, when we're coming to elections and, and, and you know, future engagements, what people believe in, I want to just take you back to 2016. Um, and in 2016, there, there were 570 misinformation trusts that uh, sites that they were studying, right? They got as much Facebook engagement as 38 mainstream news sources. So these guys, and whether it's Russians, whether whoever it is, the Guptas, whatever it might be, they just spew out this information. They put just tons and tons of sites. Eventually, people start believing what is being said there. But it's the volume of the sites that are out there. So 576 uh, fake news sites got as much traction on Facebook as 38 mainstream news sites in 2016. So you can understand that how this can now start skewing people's opinions and people's, uh, you know, not, not just trust, but just what people want to believe and how they're going to vote in an election or what they're going to believe in ultimately when they go to the, the polls to vote. So um, it's, it's interesting. They're going to have to – but here's the thing. The power that an organization like Facebook and Twitter has, you know, if they want to start manipulating us as human beings by our feed and news feed and everything, they've got a tremendous influence on shifting our minds, and that's kind of scary. Absolutely. But we need, we need, we need organizations to just blow and expose them and uh, – and, you know, just get rid of fake news completely. I don't think we ever will, but, hmm. yeah. Okay. Thanks you for being brilliant, this? as always. We'll it's do it so again nice next week, my friend.